Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. Hello, and thank you for coming to find the recording of this talk that I gave on the morning of Friday the um, 20th of January 2023. Uh, because of a technical issue, the beginning of my talk did not get recorded. So I'm re-recording the beginning, and then it's going to be spliced onto the, uh, the rest of the talk, which was recorded. Um, and uh, you may notice some subtle differences in, uh, in the background and, and uh, other things uh, with the talk. So I'm just going to start now. My talk is about the slogans and the seven points of mind training, which is the subject of our intensive this weekend, uh, an integrated intensive. And uh, I start the talk by talking about the Bengali teacher Atisha, who was born in 980 CE and died in 1052 CE, who developed a systematic approach of lojong, the Tibetan word for mind training, to help practitioners awaken into our underlying bodhicitta, that is the aspiration to save all beings, <clears throat> by following the bodhisattva path to enlightenment. Atisha's seven points and 59 slogans have been enormously influential in, in the Tibetan tradition. Of course, the Bengali uh, Buddhist tradition was wiped out uh, not long after the lifetime of Atisha, uh, but they survived in Tibet and they've become more widely known in the US and the West since publication of a number of books, starting with Chogyam Trungpa's uh, Training the Mind and Awaking Loving Kindness in 2005. I hope that everyone participating this morning has received the list of points and slogans that I sent out yesterday afternoon. When I first started practicing regularly at Appamata, I learned about metta meditation and started practicing it regularly, recalling all the times that I have been the beneficiary of loving kindness and compassion, and then expanding on that feeling into meditating experientially on connecting in loving kindness and compassion, first with those close to me, then other people not so close, and even eventually with people that I have had conflict with. About 11 years ago, Peg and Flint led an intensive that focused on the Lojong slogans using the Zen teacher Norman Fisher's book, Training in Compassion, which had come out not long before. It was a great intensive, and I've read the, that book a couple of times since then. One thing that I noticed at the time was that the slogans weren't like meta meditation. They are not very explicit about compassion, and in fact, the only direct mention of compassion was in the commentary. Instead, the slogans focus relentlessly on helping us get out of our own way, ending what Joko Beck would call the self-centered dream. Judy Leaf, who worked with Chogyam Trungpa and who has written about the slogans, says, slogan practice revolves around a number of key themes, in particular, awareness, kindness, and openness. 
And she says, I prefer to look at it backwards as overcoming three main obstacles, distractedness, indifference, and mental stuckness. Why do we distract ourselves? To avoid facing the fact that our very existence, <clears throat> that our very existence is shifting and insubstantial with no reliable solidity, whatever. Why are we indifferent? We are different due to our self-absorption and, and that leaves us no room in our heart for others. Why are we mentally stuck? Because we are afraid of the limitless compassion and unbounded emptiness of our own nature. It's due to our self-absorption of no room in our heart for others. Why are we mentally stuck? Because we are afraid of the limitless compassion and boundless emptiness of our own nature. As, it's, as it says in a slogan that we'll describe, I, I'll describe later, we have everything we need already. And that is emphasized throughout the slogans. Um, I'm reminded of a talk that Flint gave about 10 years ago, if, if not more, a TEDx talk that's available on the, on the web and probably everybody here has seen it. <coughs> um, he's talking to um, um, a regular folks, business people type of TEDx audience. And uh, he gets them to take a piece, a piece of paper and write their greatest strength on one side and their secret shame essentially on the other side. And then to turn that piece of paper into a Mobius strip so that the, so there is a continuous flow between the greatest strength and uh, what we, people would describe as their weaknesses. And I believe that that's what uh, Judy Leaf is describing in her description of the, of the Lojong slogans as well, that, they, that we have what we need we can fearlessly and honestly look in great detail <clears throat> at what we do in our lives um, and use that, use that as uh, a way, again, in detail to examine how, can, how we can awaken. So um, I've been participating for several months in a small Appamata group that meets uh, on Wednesdays at noontime called Zazen and, and Sharing. It was started by um, Ellen Hippert and Kim Mosley and uh, is supported by a, a, a wonderful group. There's, a, there's several people who come every week. Um, and um, the group uh, typically reads from a text. In this case, it's for the last <clears throat> over a year, it's been um, training in compassion by Norman Fisher and some other related things. Typically reads from a text, meditates for 30 minutes, does a couple of minutes of, of reflected writing, and then shares what they wrote. Uh, when I started with the group regularly, uh, the group was already a third of the way through the Lojong Lo slogans, uh, taking them one at a time. And, um, and now we're in the 40s and, and we will be uh, finishing up in uh, in April, I think, early in April. So the, the chance to engage with the slogan slowly and in these in this level of detail has been wonderful, and as has been the chance to learn from so many other Sangha members with such deep commitment to practice. Of course, we can't do that in a couple of days, but we can do a lot. 
Um, Todd will be talking tomorrow and, and I, I know he has a great talk planned. And uh, I wanna share a couple of things uh, today. <coughs> and I see that I need to speed up. So first I wanna talk about the very first slogan, uh, which is under uh, point number one, train in the preliminaries. Um, and then I'll talk about the 45th slogan and the 44th slogan and end with some advice from Peg Cyberson. The, um, the traditional way of uh, talking about train in the preliminaries is uh, described by Pema Chodron. She says, the, pre the preliminaries are also known as the four reminders. In your daily life, try to, one, maintain an awareness of the preciousness of human life and of this existence, which gives us a capacity that other lifestyles, other life forms cannot have, even God's. Be aware that the, uh, of the reality that life ends and death comes, from every, comes for everyone. Three, recall that whatever you do, uh, uh, whether it's virtuous or not, has a result and that go, what goes around comes around. And four, contemplate that as long as you are too focused on self-importance and too caught up in thinking about how you are good or bad, you will suffer. Obsessing about getting what you want and avoiding what you don't want does not result in happiness. Those are the four points under training in the preliminaries. <coughs> Norman Fisher's version sounds broader, more contemporary and more Zen-like. He says, training in the preliminaries is to stop moaning and feeling sorry for yourself and to recognize instead that regardless of what has happened or why this is your life, and you are the only one equipped to deal with it. And then, based on that sense of personal responsibility, training in the preliminaries involves reflecting on your life so that you can develop the resolve and courage to begin a new life path. Training in the preliminaries is the process of looking honestly at your life and making a firm decision to embark on a disciplined spiritual path. There are many ways to do this. In Alcoholics and other Alcoholics Anonymous and other recovery programs, it's done by coming together in community and telling and listening to one another's stories. It can be done with psychotherapy or other focused modalities. Um, the point is that you begin by marking a pause in your life, a time when you say to yourself, the old path is no good anymore. I've come to the end of it. I need to take the time now to review my life so that I can find the motivation to go ahead differently. Once you take that time and find that motivation, you are training in the preliminaries. <clears throat> in the Bodhisattva vow that we chant on weekdays, we say, beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Brad Warner has famously written, I vow to save all beings from myself. That's exactly what the slogans help with. Focusing in depth and in psychologically insightful detail on how the delusions we cherish help perpetuate our own suffering and contribute to the total suffering quotient of the entire universe. Uh, so now I want to talk about the 45th and the 44th slogans and, and close with a suggestion from Peg Syverson on how we can engage with them during the day today. The 45th slogan is, uh, uh, says, take on the three causes. When I first read this, 
I thought causes. Oh, that must be causes of suffering, right? But uh, it's not. It's actually, as uh, Norman Fisher uh, describes it, the first cause to be taken on is find a good teacher and this, uh, because no one can do mind training alone. The second cause is realize how important it is for you to tame your mind because this work is not optional if we want to be happy in this life, if we want to find liberation. And the third cause is realize you have what you need. Fisher says, if you are alive, you have consciousness, you live in a world with others, you have the motivation to live a good life, you have food to eat and a roof over your head. What else do you need? To practice this slogan is simply to recall all of this when you get grumpy or dissatisfied. Remember your community and teachers. Remember the importance of mind training. Remember that you have what you need. Finally, I want to close with slogan 44. Train in the three difficulties. So <clears throat> this is a slogan that helps us keep engaged with working on various default habits. Uh, those unsuccessful yet compelling attitudes, thoughts, and actions that seem to keep coming back over and over again, despite our best intentions. The first difficulty is when the habitual impulse, whatever it is, first appears in your mind, the moment when it first pops up. Can you notice it? Uh, this is from Norman Fisher. The second difficulty is that once it appears, it is compelling and very difficult to let go of. Can you let go? The third difficulty is that even if you can let go, it's hard not to be compelled by it all over again when it pops up again next time because of the force of residual habit energy that you've been putting into it maybe for a whole lifetime. Can you let go and again, uh, again and again with patience and with self-compassion? Peg Syverson on January 1st sent out an email that I, that I plugged in an email of my own last week um, in which she uh, said essentially the same thing that is being said in this slogan here as part of her part of her New Year's Day message. She says, in our particular culture, we are accustomed to acting on our impulses, often without reflection. We are accustomed to driving to the store and getting whatever we fancy. We eat what we please, when we please, and we do our best to control our environment for our own comfort and safety. Still, we try to teach our children self-discipline and patience, even while we do not practice them ourselves. We believe we do, of course. So here is a micro practice for impulse regulation. You may learn quite a bit about yourself from it. Step one, can you observe for a few days what speech and actions are typically prompted by impulse for you. Generally, these have an automatic or compulsive quality, reaching for the last cookie, checking your phone, giving a routine response to someone, buying something online. I would say, I would add something to what Peg is saying here. And these are the, the impulsive acts for me have the quality of low effort and high serotonin reward or, or some other brain chemical. You know, that, that uh, it's just, you just get a surge of something that feels good by doing something habitual. So step two, can you insert a pause between the impulse and action? Don't get excited, 
Just try this maybe once or twice a day at most, she says. How long a pause, a pause would that be? Can, your, can the pause be stretched long enough to give you time to reflect? This is an exploration, not a, uh, a virtue test. Step three, be curious. How does it feel to practice this pause, to interrupt this impulse? What do you observe in yourself or others? Regulating our impulses is the first step toward wisdom. It gives us time to think, speak, and act in accord with our deepest intentions and our values. So that's my suggestion for today as we go out into life practice. <clears throat> See if you can interrupt some impulsive behaviors with a, with a brief pause and, what it, and, and then note for yourself what it feels like, what impact it has on you, what impulse control might have in relation to others. And uh, just explore that and, and uh, see what difference it makes, if any. Um, and I, I ask that you come and you, uh, when you come back tonight, that you share that experience with us. We're going to have a, a Dharma activity tonight that would involve some reflection on that. So to recap, what actions have strong impulsiveness behind them? What happens if you insert a pause between an impulse and an action? And what does it feel like when you do so? Thank you so much for your kind attention. I've actually finished on time. That's great. Thank you again for your attention. And let's uh, return to uh, sitting and prepare for uh, service.